Hey guys, good evening. What a special time together. Uh, I don't know about you, I'm sure you have had a full and busy week, and there's a part of you that's um, thankful that tomorrow night maybe you can get the chores around the house done, taken care of, but man, it, is, it has been a special, special week, and I have been overwhelmed and blessed by your love and your kindness, um, by your attentiveness to God's word, by the Spirit. Um, it has just been really, really wonderful. I'm so grateful. Um, I can't believe it's our last night. My wife texted me last night and she said, um, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. She said, hey, I'm so thankful that you're there, Lee. And I pray that you have been blessed this week and that your heart is full. And I was like, you have no idea. Uh, my heart is so full. In fact, I, I said, uh, I think to somebody, either to Dan or maybe to my wife, I said, I would be, um, I'm ready to go home so I can be with my family, but if my family were here, I just might be camping out. I'm just telling you, it is just too sweet around here. Bring her on up. Yeah, so in fact, for the first time ever, she said, hey, you know what? I've got some days in the summer, because she's a teacher, so she has no time in the year. And she said, I got some days in the summer. Why don't we just drive up there and see all of your friends you keep talking about? So I, uh, I look forward to that, and I, I hope that that can take place this summer or sometime very soon. Um, we had the time of our lives today, and it wouldn't be in proper fashion if I didn't at least take a minute or two and talk about uh, some of the highlights. So some people would call what we did a food tour, um, but I would actually call it an international missions trip. Um, because uh, number one, because Dan was struggling to drive as if he were in a foreign country. And so number two, what's that? It's all the food. He was in a food coma, so the driving was a little wild over there, but we had a wonderful time. Um, literally, we came up with an incredible agenda last night, and it started this morning, leaving here at 745. We started with the scenic overlook of the city that you stand there, and you're at the top of the buildings on this mountain, looking over the whole city of Montreal. It was absolutely gorgeous. In fact, the park there was um, partly designed by, this, by someone who was the same designer of Central Park in New York City. It's just an amazing thing. I was like, how many times have you guys been here? It's such a great place. And they're like, never. We've never been here before. I said, what? You got to go visit. So hopefully they'll get a chance to go up there and see that. But I will tell you, um, the site did not compare to the great food. We found this place that sells beignets. Is that how you say it? Beignet? Beignet, Beignet what? Beignet. We call them donuts. All right. They were donuts. <laughs> And uh, the donuts were incredible, had a great time. We would go into a shop, we'd buy the stuff, and we'd go right outside, and there'd be a little bench, and this happened over and over and over. And we'd sit on the bench out there, and we'd eat our snacks, and we'd look like a bunch of little boys, like reaching in the bag, here you go, passing them around, taking selfies with our donuts and stuff. We did the beignets, we did some bagels, they were pretty amazing. Then we went from there and got this bologna sandwich that, uh, you said, what was the other meat? Salami, bologna, garlic sandwich thing at the shop, and it was amazing. Say it again. Walensky's, yeah. And uh, so I'm gonna. He said, "Hey, send me the pictures of all these places so I can find them again." So we're listen. It was a great place. We highly recommend Walensky's for a good sandwich. Then we went to the. Uh, listen, you gotta pause for a moment. We went to a place where I had the greatest sandwich of my entire life. N- not even close. I mean, hands down. Number one. In fact, the owner, one of the two owners happened to be sitting there. Um, one owner is Celine Dion. She owns, she's a part owner of the restaurant. And then the other owner, I don't know his name, but he was sitting there. And I walked up to him and said, I'd rather talk to the other owner. I'm just kidding. Say that. 
But I did say to him, I said, this is the greatest sandwich in the world. And he was like, thanks. I kind of hear that all the time. I was like, yeah, it really is. So it was an amazing sandwich at Schwartz um, Deli or something like that. So I highly recommend it. After that, we needed to walk, okay? So we went down to this street where you could just walk and walk and walk. And then on the way out of town, we got this orange julep. Anybody ever heard of an orange julep? Yeah, we got a hand back there, two, three. It was amazing. There's this huge orange ball, and, uh, and you walk up to the humongous orange ball, and you order orange juleps, and it was fantastic. It was like ice cream and orange juice mixed together into this beautiful drink that was tasty and delicious. We, we were like, she was like, you want small, medium, large? We said, we'll go with the mediums. We walked out, took one sip and said, should have gone with the large. It was so delicious. We had the time of our lives. But listen, it doesn't matter how much fun all that was. I had this sense of anticipation and excitement all day long to get to this moment with you, to be here together. So thankful for the other churches that have joined and the familiar faces from our men's conference that we had this past week. Um, I had somebody come up to me tonight, or I, no, I think, I don't know if it was a message or a face conversation. They said, listen, I enjoyed all this week, but the, the men's conference was the best, all right? Just telling you, they, from there it was downhill, all right? So it's been a wonderful week, and God has been uh, working in our hearts, showing us his truth, and I'm thankful for it. I will also say, although it sounds like about every other word is kind of skipping out and dropping out, God has answered your prayers, and he has provided um, for my voice to work really well. And my voice would be like an A plus if we did not ride and talk all day long. So I'm going to give you everything I've got here. I probably won't be able to, I'll just be whispering by the end of the night, but I, uh, I'm just so excited to share this with you. Um, I am so thankful for your pastors here at Northside. Man, I got to tell you, um, they have blessed my life. Pastor Dan and Brianna have been a sweet blessing to me. I'm so thankful for their their kindness and their open arms. From the very first time I met him at a camp that I spoke a camp that I spoke at years ago, uh, he has been a kind and faithful, encouraging friend. I'm so thankful for him. So thankful for Matt and Kayla. Um, they have opened their home to me. The last this is the third visit in a row that they've opened their home to me to come and stay with them. We always have the time of our lives hanging out, playing with the boys, and enjoying fellowship. And I'm just so thankful for each and every one of them. By the way, I did mention earlier that my heart is full from being here, and I want to remind you that you have encouraged me this week, and I hope that you continue to encourage your pastors all year long. Did you recognize or realize that this month is Pastor Appreciation Month? Do you guys know that? I hope you make a big deal about it. Listen, a pastor can't get up and say, hey guys, it's my birthday. You can't do that. A pastor can't get up and be like, hey, you appreciate me. Remember, send me a note. Tell me thank you. You can't do that. And I'm just going to tell you, I can't. Okay, I can stand here before you and say that there is almost nothing that means more than when somebody reaches out and sends a note or sends a $100 bill or something like a gift card or whatever and says, you have loved and served my family like few have ever done before. The burdens that you carry, not just for our family, but for the families of this entire church are unimaginable. And we thank you. We appreciate you. So I just want to encourage you to take a moment and appreciate your pastor. I know I do. I appreciate him. I appreciate all of them. Those of you who are visiting from other churches, I hope you appreciate your pastor. It is Pastor's Appreciation Month, and nobody gets to talk about that, but I can. And I know that it's October, so celebrate that. Love on your pastor. Tell him, and his family, by the way, his wife, all right, their wives, 
All right, appreciate them, love on them, serve them. It's not always an easy job, all right? And so just encourage them. In fact, most of the time, it's not an easy job. In fact, by the way, I'll preach a whole nother message, but I'll say, God tells you when you sign up to be a preacher and a pastor, you sign up for a higher accountability, all right? He is answering to God in bigger ways. In fact, I'll just say this, I won't preach, I won't preach. But 1 Timothy 5, 17 says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of a double honor, all right? That means not even just in October, but honor your pastors, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Your preachers and teachers, give them honor. They are worthy of it. Dan, thank you for blessing me with the opportunity to come. And by the way, he awkwardly sits there with his like head down going, please stop, please stop, please stop. That's because of the heart of a shepherd and a servant. And uh, I hope you recognize that and give him the honor that the Lord tells you to. Tonight, I want to talk to you from God's word about how Jesus is the only one we worship. Jesus is the only one we worship. Now listen, if, if that were the whole heart of it, it's like, okay, how many of you believe that? All right, sounds good, we're dismissed tonight. No, but we're gonna jump into the word and talk about not only how he is the only one we worship, but really what the word of God teaches us about how we can worship him appropriately. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six is an incredible passage. I love it because it teaches us about worship but it teaches us about something that is also one of my greatest passions in this world, and that is generational worship. That is, we have a responsibility not to just work and learn in this life how to worship ourselves, but we have a high responsibility to learn and practice worshiping so that we can recognize the example and the pattern that we are setting for our children in their lives and in the days to come. In fact, I would say this, listen, your number one responsibility is your walk with the Lord, but right up there at the top, your number two responsibility is how you lead your children to love and to live for and to worship God. Tonight, I want this message to be an encouraging message, but there are also going to be some challenging moments on things that we like to hold on to and maybe even put above in our preferences of worship, above the needs of our children. And we're going to talk about what God's word says about worshiping ourselves and about teaching others to worship. In doing that, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter six, and I'm going to have you go ahead and stand with me tonight, and we're going to read this passage together. Stand with me. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter six. We're going to start in verse four. By the way, this passage is the Shema, and it is a Jewish um, reciting that that, uh, Israel would say morning and night, and they would recite this as a prayer to the Lord in their worship. This was something that they said over and over and over and over, and they passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's still said today in many, many contexts around the world, and we read this passage tonight to gain an understanding of generational worship. Here it says this in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. In other words, 
You need to make sure that the word of God is all around your children's lives so that they will learn to worship God, so that you will be reminded to worship God, so that generations, sons and daughters, and then their sons and daughters and their sons and daughters will continue to worship the one and only true Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me tonight? Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this passage. God, it is so easy for us to get self-focused and focus on our life, our generation, our time, our perspective, our opinions. And yet when we look in the word of God, there is a timeline that goes on for thousands of generations. God, I pray that tonight we will realize that we're not just supposed to serve our brothers and our sisters, but we are supposed to serve generation to generation. We are supposed to live in a way that we lead other generations to serve you and to love you and to live for you. And so, God, I pray that tonight as we look into this word, as we see your heart for every generation, God, I pray that we will be moved to live for you and to lead our children to love and worship you as well. God, I pray that you'll speak through me tonight. Get me out of the way. Make your word prevalent. I pray that your Holy Spirit will go from heart to heart, very clearly working, showing us specifics of how we can give our children a better platform to live and worship you and to obey you so that they don't look at their lives and see mistakes of the previous generations and suffer those things, but that they see the word of God all around them and that they will live in obedience to you and your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I wanna take just a quick second and give a little bit of context. And I've done this, I think, uh, either last time I was here or two times ago. And it's just a quick foundation of scripture so that you understand a little bit about what's happening. I think it was on Sunday night, I talked about the outline of the entire book of Genesis. Anybody remember the outline of the entire book of Genesis? Here's what it is. You can say it with me. I don't expect you to memorize it from the two times I said it, but it is creation, fall, flood, Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And when you say that, you pretty much cover the entire book of Genesis, creation, fall, flood, Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. If anybody ever says to you, what is the book of Genesis about? Well, it's easy. Creation, fall, flood, Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Well, then if they say, well, then what's Exodus about? That one is also a little bit easy. It's about getting God's people out of Egypt. Can you say that with me? Getting God's people out of Egypt. Great. Well, then what's the book of Leviticus about? Oh, this is fun. All right. You just twist it around. It's about getting Egypt out of God's people. Okay. Isn't that fun? So Exodus is about getting God's people out of Egypt. But when you get to Leviticus, it's about getting Egypt out of God's people. You see, when they were in the land of Egypt, they were hanging out with people. They were being influenced by people who worshipped many, many false gods. They had all kinds of things that they would pray to and they would worship and they would consider. They had everything from statues that would fall down before God and all of these incredible things, depending on the need, depending on the struggle that they dealt with, they went to a different God. And so it became a pattern in the lives of the children of Israel that they would worship false gods as well. In fact, do you remember, maybe from watching the Ten Commandments, the movie, unless you don't remember from scripture, that they cross the Red Sea and they get to the other side and what do they do? They build an idol, all right, a golden calf that they begin to worship. Where did this come from? That's just wild. It came from the influence that they experienced while they were in Egypt. So when you go through the book of Leviticus, it is God giving them 
like parameters and guidelines and an instruction on the things that they need to learn and do so that they will not live in a context where they worship any other God but the one and true holy God. The book of Numbers is about a census, God's people complaining, and then he changes it up. He said, you people will not go into Canaan. You people will all die at this age, and you people can't go into Canaan, but you're going to have to wait a little while. And so we see the census, complaining, change take place in Numbers, and then you get to the book of Deuteronomy. I may have mentioned this at the, uh, at the men's um, event. I'm not positive, but the idea of the book of Deuteronomy is this. It is Moses, and he's getting up, and he's preaching a message, and he preaches a, a backwards look about everything that we've experienced in the past, everything the children of Israel have gone through. And honestly, it's kind of brutal, because he says, you guys were unfaithful to God here, and you were unfaithful to God here, and they were unfaithful to God. Really, I'm sorry, he doesn't say you guys. He says, your parents... Your parents, the generation that went before you was unfaithful here and here and here. And he says, now I want you to consider your heart. Are you going to live in a way that, that copies the example of your parents? Or are you going to trust and obey God the way that he has commanded for generation to generation? Listen, then he gives a forward look and he says, look at the promised land. You can go. Let's follow Joshua into the promised land, and then he goes up the mountain. So it's a backwards look, an inward look, a forward look, and an upward look is the book of Deuteronomy. Well, in this passage, we see as he is going through the backward look, he gives a clear explanation of the Shema. And in fact, it's interesting because this is not the first time. This is the second time. They didn't get it the first time. He's going through and telling them again, hey, I know I kept to keep telling you. By the way, aren't you thankful that we have a God who keeps telling us? He just keeps working in us. And you know what? We listen, we hear, we say, that's a really good idea. I'm going to do that, God. I got that from my devotion. Say, I'm going to do it. We live our day and we're so inclined to forget and to fail and to wander. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And then we come back the next day. And what does he do? He tells us again. He gives us mercy and grace. He allows us to come back and to repent and to respond again to him. And so we go through this passage and we see that there are four specific things I want us to look at tonight. Turn with me. Um, no, you're already there. But if you look over at chapter 6, verse 4, we're going to focus on our first point tonight. Many of you are finishing up that booklet of notes. And you'll see that the heart of tonight, I want to start off with saying that the focus of our worship is the Lord. And if I could rewrite that, I would actually put on there, the focus of our worship is one Lord. It's one Lord. Listen, look at verse four. It's incredible. It's the beginning of the Shema. It says, hear, O Israel. By the way, this is cool. The word Shema literally means hear. I mean, that first word is to say, hear, O Israel. Shema. It is saying, listen to what God is saying. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. It's amazing. The word Elohim is used there. And that word gives reference and understanding to something that's called a compound unity. A compound unity, the beauty of that is, if anybody's standing back saying, wait a second, why does it say that there's one Lord? Because we thought, I thought there's like Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The word one in this passage, when it talks about one Lord, it literally gives the context of there is, it's a compound unity. There are more parts that are put into one. So when it says here, Hear, O O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It is saying that there is three in one. When you worship Jesus, you are worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that takes us to this. Listen, there is nothing else. That's it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No other God should ever be worshiped. 
The first truth that Israel is to believe from this Shema is that the Lord is one Lord. They have come out of a nation where there are many gods, and now the instruction is, put away all of those other gods. There is only one God who is worthy of your worship. There is only one God who is worthy of the focus and the desires and the attention of your heart. So don't be distracted by all of those other things. Put your heart and your attention on God alone. What is worship? We talked about this week. Worship is, I'm going to give you the real definition in a second, but really it's what we direct our lives towards. Think about this. It's what we direct our lives towards. It's what or who our hearts respond to. What do your hearts respond to? Think about that. Honestly, when you wake up in the morning and you think about your day, what is the part that you delight in the most? Um, The idea of worship, my favorite definition, is everything that we do in response to the redemptive work of God in our lives. Do you understand that? But my question is, a lot of times in our lives, when we wake up, are we thinking about acting, doing everything that we do as a response to God's work in our lives? We, we might not be. And if we're not, then that needs to be something we say, Lord, help me. Lord, I need to have you at the, at the center part of my desires, of my, of my heart. God, I want to think about you first. I want to talk to you last when I go to sleep. I want you to be the core focus of my worship. Church, we must only worship one God. There's no God plus something else. He is the only one that is worthy of our worship. We are so inclined to give our time and our attention, our hearts, our money to so many things that are temporary. They are temporal and they last for a moment and they're gone. By the way, I'm just going to be real practical with you. When I think of that, I think of fast food restaurants, all right? I love, I love food. We actually, you know, you, you know, I don't need to explain it. But I'm just telling you. We go from restaurant to restaurant in Florida. I don't think it's much of a culture thing here, but in, when I live in Florida, man, like you eat at home when you have to, you eat out with, at like every other chance you get. And the issue there, and it's not me, I'm just telling you, that's like kind of everybody. It's very normal in the culture where we live. And yet oftentimes I think we're paying more money, we eat it, it's gone, and that was so temporal and we could have just saved a lot of money if we'd have done something else. You know what? We waste so much time and effort and attention, money, Um, hearts, worry, whatever, on all of these things instead of focusing it on the one true God. We are so tempted with the distraction of this world and God has commanded us to focus our worship on him alone. Look down at the next part of this. Not only is the focus of our worship the Lord, but the heart of our worship is love. Look at verse five. Listen, the heart of our worship is love. Here's what it says in verse five. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Listen, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him, why? Amen. Listen, there's nothing in us that would ever be drawn to him except the Holy Spirit working in our lives, drawing us to him. And it says this, that we love him, not because we're so good, not because we have finally been enlightened and we figured out the good stuff that nobody else, no, we love him because he first loved us. And it's this beautiful picture. The Bible talks about marriage. Listen to this. Don't don't get distracted. I know there's a lot going on. Stay with me. Okay, this is fun. This is fun. I promise. Marriage is a picture of our relationship. And and it displays a picture of how Jesus Christ loves the church. Now, here's what this means in a real practical way. When we think about this, we think about um, I... um, 
I, I love God because he first loved me. And I think about the picture of marriage. Have you ever been in a context where you've seen somebody walk in and like, let's just say I was dating my wife and I walk up to her and say, hey, I demand that you love me. Does that ever work? No. What's the best way for me to help my wife love me? It is to love her. You know, what, what's the best way, the most simple and practical way for me to, to get my wife, this sounds almost self-serving, but it's not, trust me, to, to, to experience my wife serving me. It is to serve her first. It is, I, thought, I set the example saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my wife. And actually, I'm going to this sounds all spiritual. No, 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 no. She's the one that's really good at this, okay? She says, no matter how much of a punk Lee is, I'm going to love him. I'm going to love him when he doesn't deserve it. I'm going to love him consistently. I'm going to love him faithfully. And then you know what her love causes me to do? It causes me to respond and to say, wow. I'm so unworthy and I cannot even help but love her back. Well, listen, he loved us first and now we respond to him with love. Church, we must live our lives learning to love him more and more every day. What is love? 1 Corinthians 13. I just wrote down a few things from 1 Corinthians 13. You guys know this. I hope you do. If you don't, then I encourage you to memorize it. Because when you're struggling to know, am I showing love to somebody right now? 1 Corinthians 13 is a perfect little checklist, okay? Perfect checklist. Here's what it says. Love suffers long and is kind. It envieth not. It vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. It doth not behave unseemly. It seeketh not her own. Charity is not easily provoked. Charity thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You see, charity never fails. Here's what's interesting about this, and I've never thought about this until this message when I was studying this. It's amazing that the definition of love involves so many what it's not. It's fascinating. As you're going through, it's like, okay, well, we're going to define love by what it's not. And part of me, when I read that, I'm like, God, why don't you just tell me what it is, okay? You know what it is? God is love. Everything that Jesus has done for you is love. You look at the gospel and you see what he did for you. It was to love. It was to sacrifice. He selflessly came. Philippians 2 tells us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. I mean, listen, he's way up there. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation He took upon himself the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of men. He brought himself down to our level. He restricted his all power with fingers and a tongue and eyes and and hair. He had hair. Sorry. Always distracts me. Listen, he did so much for us and that is the definition, the essence of love. It is found in Jesus alone. You can take 1 Corinthians 13, you go through and say, all of these things are not what love is, but you know what it is? It is Jesus. In fact, it starts off by saying love is kind, love is patient, love is kind. And I'm reminded of the verse in scripture that says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads men to repentance. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what, I need to, I need to respond to the Lord. Will you reflect on his kindness in your life? Reflect on his love in your life and allow that to be what draws you in saying, you know what? He loved me first, and therefore I will love him in return. The heart of our worship is love. 
God loved us first, and it's our responsibility to love him back. I could dwell on that point and go on and on and on, but I'm saving time for the end, so we're going to keep going on. Jump with me to the next point. It says here, the practice of our worship is obedience. The practice of our worship is obedience. Look down at verse 2. We didn't read this verse yet, but it's incredible because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2, it says, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee. Thou, I love this, look at the generational emphasis, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life. Um, there is a thing I like to say in my house, and that is when my kids disobey, and then I say, why did you do that? And they're like, I'm sorry, I love you. And I say, Listen, if you love me, you would keep my commandments. (laughs) Isn't that good? That's the words of Jesus, by the way. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You say that you love me. You say that I'm important, that you want to worship me, but that means that you will obey. I say the same thing in our home, and I think of different examples time and time again where our kids have done something, and and they come in saying, oh, I'm, I'm I'm repenting, and we say, no, no, no. Love equals obedience, okay? Listen, the same thing is true for us. Lord, help us. Love equals obedience. If you say you want to live and worship God and respond to what he has done in your life, that looks like obedience. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God, I lost my spot here, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know the love that we love the children, I'm sorry, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And in case you didn't get it there, it reiterates it again and says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous grievous to us. Wow, that's another level. Not even that I obey, but I don't even mind obeying, all right? I'm not even, oh my goodness. And I'm just reminded again of my wife. I'm I'm just telling you. I'm reminded of the ways that she loves and serves. Because you know what? She loves and serves, and she doesn't even mind it. At least that's what she says, all right? She doesn't even mind it. And that's what God wants from us, is that we will love him and serve him, and that we will delight in him as we do those things. As we continue on, we clearly see that the heart of worship is love. The practice of worship is obedience. Now I want you to see this. This is our final point tonight, but I'm probably still going to go too long because of how much I love this truth from God's word. And that is the future of our worship is about our children. Um, I will say right off, that's, a, that's, worded not, that's not worded well, okay? Um, did somebody say amen to that? Calm it down, all right? Listen. <laughs> Calm it down. Understand where, it's all right. I'm going to explain it, and then it's going to make sense, all right? The future of our worship is about our children. Um, our worship is about Jesus Christ, okay? But here's what I want to show. In these passages, time and time again, there's a generational emphasis. And it gives this, this you cannot read this without understanding a concept of time. To see, and, and this will take place in your son's life, and in your son's son's life, and in your son's 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 life, and on and on and on. Like, this is going to have generational impact. Two years ago, I was, or no, a, a year and a half ago, I was blessed to go to my great-grandmother's 100th birthday, all right? She lives alone, takes care of herself. She is sharp as a tack, and she cooked dinner for everybody. And after she finished dinner, she went and sat down to eat, and she said... Um, oh, I forgot my fork. And I said, Grandma, you've done so much. Let me get it for you. And she said, nope, you sit down. I'm going to go get that fork myself because the day I stop moving is the day I die. 
And she is now 101 years old, lives at home, takes care of herself. She's amazing. I will tell you, there's a little bit of a confession. We just found this out today. So my name is not Lee. That's my nickname that I've grown up with my whole life. Oh, you just found <laughs> Yeah, we were, I didn't find this out today. I, I finally read my passport and I learned my name. No, but we were talking today and uh, actually I called the doc- doctor visit and I had to say my legal name, which my legal, I'm going to hear about this all night, whatever, okay. My legal name is Leonard Leslie Tomlin the fourth, all right? It's the fourth. Well, we went and visited grandma, great grandma, okay? This is just for perspective. Um, I am her husband's son's son's son, okay? That's kind of cool when you see these things play out in real life. But I took my son with me too. And so I and my great grandfather's son's 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 son, and we got the son. All right, there was like, we took a picture, it was crazy, all of us there. But I got my son there, and great grandma walks up and says, Oh, is this little Leonard the fifth? <laughs> and I said, Nope, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Some of y'all are literally offended by that. You listen, come on. I've had to live with it my whole life, okay? So I get to choose if I'm going to pass that down. And they, the word of God does talk about the sins of the father being passed down. Well, listen, that sin was not being passed down anymore, okay? So we said, I'm sorry, Grandma. I got in the car. We're driving home. And I said, Will, do you wish your name was Leonard? Lin- ah, sorry, do you wish your name was Leonard? And he goes, nope, I don't. And I said, okay, sounds good. All right, we're good. We chose well. Listen, there is this beautiful thing of generations to generations to generations to generations. You cannot help but see God's emphasis on generational investments, on passing down God's truth from one generation to the next, time and time again in this passage. And as we look through this, you see what we are commanded to do. Look at verse 7. It says in 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Teach them diligently. I mean, this is not saying be passive about it. This is not saying like, hey, when it's convenient, then try to throw in a truth here or there. This is not saying, hey, listen, take your kids up to the church and let the, let the people there teach them. That's not what it says. It doesn't say take them to church, drop them off, and let the pastor teach them about God. No, no, no. This says you teach your children. Nobody else is responsible for them but you. God gave them to you, and you are responsible for teaching your children the truths of God diligently. Oh, man, that's challenging. That's convicting. How often I speak, I speak to you these questions out of my own conviction. And I'm just saying, how often do you pray with your children? How often do you pray with them individually? How often do you pray with them prayers of confidence saying, God, you have blessed them and you've given them so much. Thank you for the gifts that you have given them. God, give them the courage and the faith to live for you and to use those gifts in their lives for you and for your glory. I'll tell you this, I bet you a million dollars my mom is watching this message right now, probably upset with what I said about my own name, but I will tell you this, that woman has done this. She poured God's truth, God's wisdom. She diligently taught me the word of God, even to this day. I'm a grown man, 40 years old, and God take, and I, every Sunday I get up, I look at my phone, check the time, and on Sunday mornings I get a text from mom. And mom says this to me. Are you ready? I love it. I love it. It's it's healthy. It's healthy. She says, you are doing amazing things there in Jacksonville. 
Don't let it get to your head. Be humble. Serve the Lord. Love Jesus. It's all about him. It's nothing to do with you. Keep serving Jesus. You make me so proud. Something like that. It's not a copy and paste. Every week it's different. Every week it's fresh. And she pours God's truth diligently. By the way, she lives in Oregon. I live in Jackson. I mean, she's waking up at like 3 a.m. to send that text, which is diligently, okay? I'm just saying. She pours that in. Lord, help me to be like that. Help you. God, help us as parents to take responsibility for teaching our children diligently. What does that look like to teach them diligently? Look at this. It says, teach them diligently unto thy children and talk of them. When you're sitting down, listen, when you're walking, when you're lying down and when you're getting up, um, does that cover everything? I mean, it kind of does. It doesn't say swimming, I guess. Um, But everything else, I mean, it's like if you're up, if you're down, if you're going, if you're stopping, um, no matter what you're doing, be intentional to pour Jesus into your children, into the next generation. As you go on, it says this in verse 8, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. I love that. It's like, here's what I read when I say that. I mean, I'm not literally pulling out handcuffs or like some kind of tape to put on there. I'm, here's what I get from this. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to pour Jesus into your children, to help your children fall in love with Jesus. Do whatever it takes. If you have to literally put a sign on them and you just write it on their hand, whatever, if you have to put a note in their lunchbox every day, whatever it is, pour Jesus into your children. So listen to this. When I thought of do whatever it takes, I thought of three specific things that I believe the Lord put on my heart, and that is I need to display... For, for me to teach them diligently, number one, I need to display an example of worship myself. I need to display an example of worship. I can't just, I mean, come on. You all know what hypocrisy looks like. You can't just stand up and say, hey, y'all need to worship. I'm gonna go do my thing. Y'all worship Jesus. He's good, amen. And you go do your thing. That's not how it works. Listen, it didn't work for you if you lived with that kind of family and it doesn't work. If you want to teach your children then you must set the example of worship in your home. You must set the example of worship. What is that? Does that mean you need to sit around and sing Kumbaya every night? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that you need to pour Jesus into your home. That means you need to seek God's word and then you need to talk about what he gave you. And you need to share it with your wife. Share it with your children. Wives, share it with your husband. Share it with your children. Children, share it with one another. Share Jesus Number two, we need to display an example of worship in our church. I'm especially passionate about this one. Display an example of worship, not just at home, but also in your church. What are you doing at your church to display a response of worship, to display a response of doing something for God in response to what he's done for you? Okay, worship is everything you do in response to the redemptive work of God. So what are you doing for him? In your church, it's a place where the body, you understand that you are a part of the body and every part of the body has a function and you have a function. Do you know what the function is? If you don't, I encourage you to go to your pastor and say, you know, what? I was thinking about that. I don't know what my responsibility is. I'm not sure. Can you help me? I guarantee you they'll help you. They'll say, maybe, hey, listen, check out this spiritual gifts test. Or maybe they just know. I mean, there's people I've met where I'm like, you don't know what your spiritual gift is? We all do. I can tell you, and we'll put you in a place where you can display an example of worship in your church. I hope that that, that you will reflect on that. 
If you're not setting an example of worship in your home, you're not setting an example of worship in your church, then I don't believe that your children and the children's children that follow will live in that example either. Listen, the last thing here is just simply, it's kind of an obvious one, but display an example of worship in your community. As you go out into the stores, as you go out into the community, as you're driving down the road and you're frustrated at somebody, I mean, come on, it's practical, but we still struggle with it. No matter what it is, you are displaying an example of worship to the, people, to, to the people that are closest to you. And probably when you're driving down the road, the people that are closest to you are your wife and your children in the backseat and they see how you worship the Lord in your community. Display an example of worship in your community. Um, tonight I want you to understand, I said this earlier, I'm gonna say it again, that second to your own responsibility to worship God, I believe that your greatest responsibility It's to teach your children to love and to worship God. By the way, when you see, when you begin to see your children or those coming behind you surrendered and worshiping God, there's nothing like it. Um, This this may seem silly to you, but but it's not. Just to see Noah up here playing. I'm just telling you, he's not even my child. And I'm sitting down here just like bursting with, with joy. I can't imagine how Dan feels and how, how like Brianna feels to see their child up here leading worship. And you say, oh, he's just banging on a wooden box. No, no, it's not. It is not. It is taking what he has. Remember, we talked about this. It is taking what he has and it's giving to the Lord saying, I'll use what I have for you. God has blessed me with this very special opportunity. Three years ago, I saw a great need in our youth ministry. We have a, we have a youth band and some really, like, really good kids who loved music and they loved to kind of like be up front and lead, lead the rest of the youth group in worship. Um, just for context, I'm, I'm just telling you, there'd be a hundred kids in the youth group and then you have a group of like five kids that we get and lead. But there was kind of always drama and, um, and kind of like selfishness and pride and all these things that kind of go in line with um, just giving teenagers free reign to kind of do whatever they want with a, with a band. And, and the youth pastor came to me and said, hey, Lee, I need your help. Um, we need you to step in and help lead these young people to be proper worship leaders. Uh, it's amazing because at the time I was literally, this sounds, please understand, I was, I'm, not a, I'm not an intellectual, but I was writing a 200-page project on generational worship, and I was like, wonderful, they are my test product. <laughs> I get to test on these children and see what's going to happen. So we went in and we began to pour into these youth, these teenagers. And I'll tell you, we went in at the very beginning, it was kind of like, Hey, listen, there's been a lot of difficult things around here, a lot of drama, a lot of pride. Worshippers cannot have pride in their heart. So if you have pride in your heart, then you surely can't worship, and you surely can't lead others to worship. So therefore, if you have pride, then you're out, okay? And if you want to be humble and learn how to be a true biblical worship leader, then come back next week, and we're going to start and going through this. Well, we spent the next year going through discipleship, going through practice of God's word of what it looks like to be a worship leader. And I'll tell you, it has been the number one most rewarding thing I have ever witnessed in ministry to see these young people grow and develop, not just as musicians, which they have, but to see them grow and develop into humble, flexible, gracious, God-loving, passionate, energetic, enthusiastic, spirit-filled worship leaders. And they're 13 to 16, It's unbelievable. It's a beautiful thing. I'm passionate about it. 
Here's how incredible it is. I am blessed. I mentioned this in the past, and I just say this for context. I'm blessed to serve in a large ministry context. This past Sunday, our youth band got up in front of more than 1,000 people and led worship. These 14 to 17-year-olds, like, like these kids, got up and led worship. No, 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 I'm sorry. They're 12 because my daughter is 12, and she's on the team now, along with another 12-year-old that's up there. And they were on this front line leading a massive congregation of worship, and they do it with humility and with grace. And there is nothing that stirs my heart more. I'm not, I'm not old enough to have grandkids yet, but I kind of feel like they're my grandkids. And I'm like, you're not my kids, but I love you so much that you feel like I, I just, I'm overjoyed at what God has done in and through their lives. And it's simply this. We have poured into the next generation of worship leaders. Just this past week, we were at the men's conference, and it was made very clear that, hey, listen, we are not putting the next generation off until someday when they can lead in the future. Oh, no, no. We want to be a place where our children are involved in worship now, where they are worshiping and they are leading others in worship today, now, this night, this coming Sunday. And my question for you is, what are you doing to engage the next generation in worship? I hope in a tiny way that you've seen even that displayed in this week and the short time that I've been here to say, hey, young person, I don't even know you, Evan, but come on over here. Let me show you how to do something on the piano so you can use your fingers to worship Jesus Christ. He is worthy of, of taking his incredible gift of music and using it back for his glory, giving it back to him. Listen, all of these little details have taken it. Now, I'm only using music as an example because that's like one of my passions, but that can apply to everything. We have opportunities for, for moms and children, maybe a teenage daughter to serve in nurseries or to serve in different other opportunities. VBS, you guys ever heard of that? Y'all do that? Anything like it? Some kind of children's ministry throughout the summer. This event where the church takes the gospel into the park next or this month, later this month, there are opportunities for the next generation to get involved. And by the way, it's not just a fun thing. It is mandated and instructed according to the word of God that we are supposed to take our children, pour Jesus into them. To do that, we need to make sure that we're filling ourselves up with everything we can, falling in love with Jesus ourselves, pouring it into the next generation, trusting that they are also, by the way, trusting that they're going to stand on our shoulders. Remember we talked about the foundations? That we are building on this platform, we're building on one on another, and that our children get to stand on our shoulders, and maybe they'll grow further in their walk than we ever dreamed. Maybe they'll know, know the Lord and love the Lord better than we ever have. I hope tonight that you will leave this place with a burden for what practical things can we do to invest into the children of our church. Jesus said, let the children come unto me. Do not do anything to push them away. And yet sometimes it's kind of like, hey, we'll give you your turn in 20 years or so. Oh, no, no, no. If Jesus were here tonight, he'd be like, all right, listen, you old people are a little too tempted to be hard-hearted. Now, I'm talking old. I'm 40. I get it. I'm old. I'm hard-hearted sometimes, too. Listen, he says, you old people, Lee, I'll just talk to myself, is a little, little too hard-hearted. Bring the young ones in. Their faith is wild. When I say something, they believe it, and they don't even question it. I want them to come and worship me. That's what God wants from us. Turn with me to this final passage tonight. Turn with me over to... Oh, I got to find my notes here. I'm going to just find it. It says, I believe it's Psalm 78. Yes, it is. Psalm 78. I want to read this to you. And we're going to close tonight. This is beautiful and convicting. I hope it speaks to you. Listen closely. Psalm 78 verse four says this. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord. 
Listen, we are showing for the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he had done. Talk about the wonderful things that God has done in your life to your children. Praise him. Give him the, give him the glory to your children in your own home. Verse 5 says, For he established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Listen, verse 6 that the generations to come might know them. Even the children, even the children which should be born, not even the ones that aren't even born yet, are that they will praise the Lord who should arise and declare them to their children, to their children. Do you, I, I, I messed that up. I'm going to say it again. Listen, you give testimony to what has God, God has done so that even the children who have not even yet been born will one day be born, and then they will teach their children. That's the beauty of verse 7. Then it says on, it says this, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but they will keep his commandments, which will be the evidence of their love for him. Now look at verse 8, and then we're going to close with this. This has been exciting and positive. I'm, before you read it, I got to say, this is exciting. It fires me up to think of our young people worshiping Jesus. Do you understand when we get to heaven, it's going to be all generations bowing down before our Savior worshiping together. I'm not, I'm not the authority or the dad in my son Will's life. No, we are arm in arm standing there together, side by side, worshiping Jesus because he is the one that matters. And we look back and say, man, worship was sweet on earth, but it was nothing compared to this. The glory of all of us worshiping together with our children and their children and their children. Now listen to verse 8 because here is the sad news at the end. It says here, I'm going to read 7 again. I'll read 8. 7 says this, that they might set their hopes in God and not forget the works of God, but that they will keep his commandments and they might not be as their father's. Lord, help us. It literally says, we just hope that they're not like their dads. We just hope that, like they're, that they're not like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. That'll stop you dead in your tracks, men, women, moms, dads. Lord, help me to pour Jesus into my children. He is the only one worthy of worship. God, may it never be said of me, y'all need to love Jesus, but not like your dad did, not like your mom did. You need to be steadfast. Look at this, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Pursue him diligently and pour Jesus into your children. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that is here in your word. God, I pray that you will help us to be challenged. Help us to see our children and to love them as much as you do. God, I pray that we will give them opportunities to lead, but not for glory, not for man's glory, not for vain glory, but I pray that we will give them opportunities to lead because we know that they're gonna lead others to serve and worship and glorify you. God, I pray that in doing so, you will keep them in the church, keep their hearts close to you. And I pray that the fruits of this will abound from generation to generation. In Jesus' name, amen.